Cashflow Ninja, episode 212 with Patrick Donahoe. Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast empowering and inspiring people to discover how to generate their own income and manage, grow, and protect their own wealth in the new economy. Now, here is your host, MC Laubscher. Hello, Cashflow Ninjas. MC Lobster here, and welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Ninja. I have a great show for you today, and in today's show, we're going to look at why the pension system could potentially take down the entire U.S. economy. I'm joined today by Patrick Donahoe. Patrick is the president and CEO of Paradigm Life, and Patrick started Paradigm Life in 2007 after learning from his mentor, Kim Butler, about financial strategies outside of Wall Street. With a background in economics and marketing, Patrick immediately realized the opportunity to teach investors, business owners, professionals, and families on a large scale using modern digital media and communication technology. Since 2007, Paradigm Life has worked with thousands of individuals in all 50 states. Patrick has shared the stage with financial experts such as Robert Kiyosaki, Peter Schiff, G. Edward Griffin, Tom Hopkins, Blair Singer, Donald Trump Jr., and more. Please share your feedback and thoughts on today's interview. You can let me know your thoughts on Twitter by tweeting me at MC Lobsher or by email at info at cashflowninja.com. And please remember to join our mailing list by signing up at cashflowninja.com or texting cashflowninja, one word, to 44222. To ensure you never miss one of our episodes, you can also download our free interactive smartphone apps on the Apple and Google Play app stores. I've created a Cashflow Ninja investment group where I share opportunities that I'm investing in with my fellow investors. If you're interested in joining this group, please email me at info at cashflowninja.com and we will continue the conversation to see if you're a good fit for our group. My friend Dave Zook says, you can be conventional or you can be wealthy, but you need to pick one. At The Real Asset Investor, Dave and his company create value for investors looking for higher yield returns from real estate ventures domestically and internationally. To learn more about the exciting investment opportunities The Real Asset Investor offers, such as the syndication opportunity at Mahogany Bay Village in Belize or investment opportunities in the multifamily space in the U.S., visit CashflowNinja.com forward slash real asset investor. Gelt Inc. is a multifamily syndicator which has acquired over 6,700 apartment units valued at over $1 billion through a private equity syndication model. Gelt provides its investors with significant cash-on-cash returns while maintaining and enhancing equity invested for the long term. You can reach out to Joss Satin at joss at geltinc.com to learn more. Have you read Rich Dad Poor Dad? Are you interested in real estate investing and don't know where to start and how to get the results you want? For valuable information to get you started, visit JoinOps Properties at joinopsproperties.com. If you want to create an income stream of 8% on your cash or money in your self-directed IRAs within 90 days in real estate without finding the property, fixing it up, finding a tenant, and all the other management headaches, you have to watch the private lending presentation at cashflowninja.com forward slash 
private lending. The wealthiest investors on the planet know how to capture their wealth and leverage it to perpetually grow it. If you're interested in learning the premier strategies of the wealthiest individuals and families on the planet, you can access your free webinar at cashflowninja.com forward slash be the bank. Patrick, welcome to the show. Hey, it's, uh, it's great to be here, MC. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on. Can you please share a little bit about your background and journey with my listeners? My background and journey. Oh, wow. That's a loaded one. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, my background has been really, you know, in, uh, in finance to, you know, to a degree. I got interested when, so I went to, I went to school for a couple of years, played, played ice hockey uh, in college and, and then I uh, decided to do some, uh, some volunteer work for my church. And so I took a couple years off. And then when I went uh, back to school, didn't want to play hockey anymore. I actually have fake teeth and scars on my face. And, you know, my wife was like, she saw me play the first time. And it was like, yeah, I don't want to see that side of you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, and I still play every, every once in a while. But anyway, I came, I came back and uh, my, one of my great friends growing up, Brandon, uh, he introduced me to Rich Dad Poor Dad, so I read that book, and it totally changed my mindset, as it does a lot of people. And uh, and but my parents were teachers; his you know dad was a professor, and so it really resonated with me from that standpoint. And so what I was studying when I was playing hockey was economics. I decided to just continue with that and finish school, mainly to appease my my parents. But I wanted to be you know I wanted to own a business. I wanted to pursue something on my own. I didn't want to work for. For, uh, for someone else. And during that period of time, when I was finishing school, I worked at this uh, financial company that did, uh, it was a call center, did a lot of online marketing. It did uh, debt negotiation. So if individuals got themselves in a pickle, there were some laws that allowed them to, you know, essentially negotiate their debt uh, down and reduce interest rates and so forth. So that's where I really started to see like, wow, this people are really jacked up when it comes to their finances. And so that's kind of where the journey started. And then, uh, you know, long story short, I met a mentor of mine, Kim, who, you know, Kim Butler and met her through a program called strategic coach. And uh, then in 2007, I decided to, uh, just uh, peel off of the group that I was working with and uh, start uh, start my business. And it was just me and a couple other people. And then, you know, everything, you know, fell apart. 2008, 2009, I almost fell apart. My marriage almost fell apart. And it was, it was kind of a crazy, it was a nutty time. Definitely a lot of, uh, a lot of life lessons learned, learned during that, uh, that period of time, obviously with you and a new child, I had some new kids during that period of time. So it was like, it's like everything piled on at the same time. Uh, but it was, you know, it was, I, I, that's where I learned everything. That's where I learned, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I have this, I had the same amount of passion then that I do now. Uh, then it was a cool idea. Right now, it's like I know that you know what we do uh, helps people, right? And it's kind of a mission to to be able to uh, to, to promote that, and perpetuate that idea. And uh, so, yeah, so it's you know I've I've uh, I started at just a couple people, and now we have a, a pretty pretty decent sized office. We've done business all over the country. Uh, we have thousands of clients. Uh, we do everything online, like just like this. You're you're a you're a Zoom compadre, so <laughs> I love uh, loves it. Yeah, but we you know we we use, we try to leverage technology to provide education to provide uh, you know just some alternative things that people just still are, are unaware of and uh, and it's been it's been awesome learned a lot about business learned a lot about finance learned a lot about you know bankruptcy law and credit law and what works and what doesn't work and it's been uh, it's been crazy man it's been a, it's been a cool journey 
Yeah, I love it how you merged the uh, online marketing uh, skills that you had and kind of brought that to the financial services space, which was uh, quite unique at that time. I mean, now it's it, it, there's a lot of folks d- uh, doing similar things. But at the time, 2007, uh, you, were, you were definitely uh, one of the first guys doing something like yeah. that. Um, and I just wanted to go back to that because, I mean, it, it is kind of a crazy story, right? At 2007, you start the business, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, paradigm. And <laughs> at that stage, as you said, it, it, when it rains, it pours. Yeah. And a lot of lessons learned through that. I mean, one of the worst financial crises that the country and the world has ever seen played out mm-hmm. during, during that time. What were some of the biggest lessons that you learned uh, personally, professionally uh, during that time and, and business? Well, I would say, I would say personally is, you know, there, you don't, you don't know everything. I think ego, I love Ryan Holiday's book, Ego is the Enemy. It has some amazing lessons in there because when you think you've arrived at a certain place, right, you're the, the universe or, or whatever, you know, has something in store for you, right? And that, I mean, it's a, that's a tipping point sometimes for people. And uh, so during that time, yeah, I would, I would say that, you know, we had a good ride with the other business that I was involved in. I kind of veered off and, you know, really felt like I would have the same amount of uh, success, uh, and uh, then it hit me, you know, head, head on. So I think from a personal, from a personal standpoint, it really taught it really taught me that lesson. Uh, but then, as I kind of got into it, what reinvigorated my passion was seeing that there were so many people that were in dire straits: bankruptcy, foreclosures, lost their losing their job, uh, divorces. There was some there were some people in, in, uh, in the the circle of influence I was in that committed suicide. I mean, there's some just major things that happened during that period of time. And, and I, that's where I started to really associate myself with uh, a group called the real estate guys, real estate guys radio. They've had a podcast for a really long time. And, and that's where I kind of gravitated toward what their mission became, which was I, they didn't see it. Okay. How do we associate with those that did see it and understand why it happened? And that's where I, you know, that's where I kind of started on a mission into, you know, really understanding Austrian economics, understanding business cycles, understanding, you know, really what led up to that so that it wouldn't happen to me again. And there, and, and so I would have, you know, the resources and lessons to, to teach others, right? So those are the biggest lessons is I've, you know, I, I have this kind of principle that I believe in, which is, you know, you, you go about just doing as much good for somebody else as possible. And there'll be remuneration, but the focus isn't making money. The focus isn't, uh, you know, doing a lot of business. The focus is how do I help the most amount of people? I think if that is like a comp, if that's your North star, like it'll never, it'll never, it'll never, you'll never go wrong. And that's where, you know, I've turned kind of my business into more of a family setting than anything else. Right. Where, right. you know, really you have, when you have a big business, when you have you know, groups of people and departments and managers, I mean, it can get insane. And I've had a lot of painful lessons over the last, uh, last five, six years with that. But really, I've turned the office into a place where you know people can come and perform. You get the right people on the bus; they can be there and essentially exceed and achieve. And so, I don't know I, I just I've learned kind of what environment I want to I want to be around, uh, and I've learned you know really a, a less you know a set of lessons when it comes to a business uh, on how to provide a ton of value to people. And we're in kind of the same genre in a sense as far as our, our businesses are concerned. And uh, it's been it's been awesome. It's awesome to have found something that really does help people where you can wake up every morning and have that opportunity. 
No, absolutely. And you talk about a lot about psychology because that that's a big part of it, right? Yeah. And um, specifics uh, uh, about investor psychology. You've talk, uh, sp- uh, spoken a lot about that, and exactly what it is that happens in in our minds and thoughts that have us behaving. Uh, in a certain way. And I mean, we're living in a world of instant gratification. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to click and see an instant result, right? Yeah. Um, so can you share a little bit more about your philosophical uh, approach uh, as far as building and creating wealth? Yeah, dude, this is, that's a, this is really a, it's a good question. And, you know, tonight, so I'm in Austin, so I'm having, I'm having dinner with a couple, couple guys, um, Ryan Moran, Tim Ferriss, uh, Jason Hartman, and, and so I've been kind of doing a crash course in, in uh, Tim Ferriss's podcast. And I came across, I can't remember who the guest was, but it made me remember another video. And this kind of just encompasses my, my philosophy about things when it comes to finances, especially in the United States. So it, it basically the example they gave, gave was this experiment that was done with monkeys, right? And obviously for those that are you know, PETA, I apologize, but this is not my experiment. This is just something I heard. Good example, <laughs> right? But it was one of the, you know, they, they had these monkeys in a room, right? And uh, they put this ladder in the middle and at the top of the ladder was a bucket full of bananas. And so, you know, the monkeys obviously saw the bananas and they tried to go up the ladder. And then part of the experiment was every time they touched the ladder, they'd be sprayed by water, right? And right. sprayed where they didn't want to get sprayed by water. And so, uh, so what happened was they didn't go up the ladder. Well, what they did is they took one of the monkeys out and replaced it with a new one. And the new one came in and saw the bananas at the top of the ladder. And he started to go up the ladder and there all the monkeys tore him down because they didn't want to get sprayed with water. So what happened is one by one monkeys left the room and they reintroduced new monkeys to the point where there were none of the monkeys that were there during the time that they were sprayed with water. All of them were new but none of them went up the ladder. Everyone, every time someone tried to actually do it, they would be pulled down. And so that's, you know, that lesson right there. And there's another cool kind of YouTube video called um, uh, social conformity. And it's basically the same thing with humans in a waiting room. Uh, same idea. But when a, when a beep sound goes up, they would stand up and, and everyone in the room was in on it except for one girl. And so the beep went off and everybody stood up. And so she started, she stood up like not really knowing what was going on. And then one by one, they left the waiting room, right? Until she was by herself. But every time the beep went off, she kept standing up, not even really understanding why she was doing what she was doing. That's my, you know, when it comes to, I would say the psychology of it all, I think it's safe, safe to say that people really feel a lot of safety and they're comfortable with doing things the same way as everybody else does. And that's where I think, you know, it can get people into a lot of, a uh, lot of bad habits, get them into a lot of trouble. That's what happened in 2007, 2008, 2009. It's probably what's going to happen again. And that's one of the ideas where just because it's been done a certain way doesn't mean that uh, that's the way it should happen. And may, maybe it worked in the past. Not, you know, It's not going to work in the future always. So that's where it's kind of like one of the principles I believe in is always question assumptions, question why you're doing this, question why we do that. And that really kind of helps remove ego, remove, you know, allow you to leverage uh, humility and openness. And that's where I think, you know, the, the foundation of growth really is. And that applies to not just business, not just investment. I think it just applies to life as well. No, absolutely. And one of the topics that I wanted to talk about, speaking about what's ahead, uh, there's a, <laughs> there's a, a an slowly evolving pension crisis 
that's uh, that's hitting the shores in the United States that is, is going to have a significant impact. And I kind of scratched the surface on this a little bit with Barry James Dyke on the show. So I figured we'd peel away a couple of layers of this, uh, this onion uh, today. So let's start with that, Patrick. So what what exactly for uh, listeners out there that they might not quite understand the problem so they don't mm-hmm. know that there's a problem what yeah. exactly is a pension where does it come from because this is this is has quite a history behind it mm-hmm. um and exactly how do do pensions work yep well i mean the the pension idea is one of the oldest ideas in history right it's it's been around for since roman times romans were given a pension uh, after they retired from the military and they were able to, you know, not have to work because of the service that they gave. So that's essentially what it is. It's basically a pension is, is somebody getting income, getting a paycheck, even though they're not working. And that usually is for the rest of their life, right? And that idea was, was prevalent in Europe. It came over to the United States. Uh, and it really became a, one of those, very attractive things to the industrial revolution. That's kind of where it started to, to spawn. So the idea of a pension is your employer, right? Whether it's a private business, a public business or the government, uh, it, you basically stop working and you continue to receive payments. You continue to receive income until you, until you die. That's, that's the kind of general idea of a pension. Right. And now to in the United States. So there's obviously different pensions, the corporate pensions. This, this kind of became a fabric of society, like after World War II, right? Where mm-hmm. a lot of corporations, people would go and work for corporations. And then when they're no longer uh, working for them, they would take care of them. I'm just thinking in South Africa, my grandfather, um, was kind of like a, a handyman in a corporation. He retired at 55. They, they took care of him for the rest of his life. So this was a very, very big part of a retirement plan. And the same way then with public pensions, uh, where teachers, firemen, policemen, uh, you know, federal government employees and employees with local governments and state and municipalities and so forth, uh, would put in the work, um, and work those years and then, they would be taken care of by these uh, these entities, whether it's corporations or whether it's the government, local uh, yeah. or, or federal. A lot of challenges with this right now. So let's jump into what sure. are some of the biggest problems with pensions and the way that pensions are structured. Well, I would say, I mean, there's a number, there's a number of problems and, you know, Barry, Barry Dyke. I love Barry. Barry I have some <laughs> cool stories with Barry back from back in the day. Uh, but he he definitely is well researched, and a lot of the stuff that uh, that I'll say probably he's he's said already. Uh, but yeah, the the idea the idea now with with pensions is the fact that you know they don't they, they aren't necessarily uh, viable uh, in in how we've evolved as a society, right? Because I would say you're right. Back in those kind of court, you know those those golden years or whatever that 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 generation, uh, you know when they were receiving you know, essentially golden handcuffs, which would allow them to uh, be retained by their employer uh, for their entire career. And that still goes on with like, you know, police, uh, you know, those type of services, teachers, uh, the government, right? It's one of those, it's one of the best retention vehicles that exists. Because if you walk away from the business, or you walk away from the teacher position, you walk away from being a police officer, you give that up. And so it's one of those very difficult things to, to do. But really what's what's going on was the pension was designed, a lot of the pensions that exist right now, okay, their math is designed for people to to live to a certain age. 
Uh, and those essentially those tables and how they're, uh, how they're designed, how they're structured have not really kept up with the growing life expectancies uh, that are out there. And I would say that, and it's also combined with kind of the privatization of pensions. So if you go back really to, you know, where they were successful and where they're successful today, they're managed by insurance companies. But what started to happen is that businesses started to manage them themselves. They don't want to delegate all of that money to an insurance company uh, because, you know, they were going to charge fees. Uh, they, you know, are very conservative in way, the way they invest money. That's when pensions started, I, say, I would say, go, go awry. Now, here's the biggest issue is that when it did start to deviate back, you know, during that, you know, it was usually kind of the 60s, 70s, uh, leading up into the 80s, I mean, you had some huge airlines go, go bankrupt. Uh, and that really sparked a lot of uh, concern, right, mainly with government and caused laws like, uh, like ERISA uh, and, uh, and all, obviously caused a lot of opportunity, especially in the Wall Street uh, genre, because now they went from, you know, a pension, which is a contractual guarantee, right? That's what most people don't understand is like if a company like promises, it's a con- contract promise. Like they can't renege on that promise. Right. And that's why they have to go, you have to go bankrupt and go through bankruptcy court in order to restructure in order to be able to afford it. That's a major issue in, in Puerto Rico right now. Uh, but they're going to get kind of off the hook, it sounds like, from Mr. Trump. Uh, but it's one of those, yeah, it's one of those things where because it's a contract, right, put a lot of companies in, in a bind because they wanted retention. They wanted to retain employees. But at the same time, it's one of those like, you know, it's a big risk because they're promising future obligations, right? They're promising future benefits. Uh, and that promise could put, you know, the you know, businesses change. There's uh, trends change, tastes change. Right, so it's making those promises for distant future became very uncomfortable for uh, for businesses, and so that's when they went to more deferred compensation, uh, and uh, instead of you know instead of uh, how pension plans, which are defined benefit plans, defined contribution instead of defined benefit. You're listening to Patrick Donahoe on the Cashflow Ninja podcast. We will be right back after a word from our sponsor. Are you having a hard time finding great investment properties? Unfortunately, the best deals are rarely found locally. Successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best deals across the U.S. Our simple, proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly cash flow. Get your free copy of the ultimate guide to passive real estate investing at noradarealestate.com slash guide. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com slash guide. You're listening to Patrick Donahoe on the Cashflow Ninja podcast and are back to our interview. And you make a lot of a lot of good points here too. I mean, it, it's interesting how society was structured in such a way that everybody won. You know, you went you went to school, you got a job, you stayed with the same company for your entire life. You would probably purchase a house then in that community. So the banks <laughs> the banks are are taken care of as well. And as you mentioned, the golden years, the sort of the leave it to beaver years, right? Where that's kind of how society was structured, but. Just with Social Security, uh, they borrowed, I mean, 65 was a number they borrowed from Bismarck. Yep. At that stage, the the, the uh, life expectancy was 62, right? They'd already surpassed the life expectancy when they were basically <laughs> giving out benefits. Exactly. So it was basically insurance. It was never designed for someone to be structured and utilized nope. as part of their retirement, living out the, the, the golden years of, of their life. And I think the other thing, too, that you mentioned, we t- spoke about the last financial crisis is that the way that the calculations is done inside these vehicles to plan eventually, 
Uh, I mean, the, the math is just so, so researching some of this. The math is astounding. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm looking at this going, this is, this is crazy. Where they expected a certain return, but now they're not getting a certain return. They're actually losing a ton of money. Yeah. And you have, uh, you've put out some great content in your research of just how much money these pension funds are lost. And uh, it was interesting enough that you came across even some of these pension funds invested with Bernie Madoff. Yep. Yeah, it's one of those, you know, you peel back one layer at a time and it's like, oh man, we're, we're in for it. We're in for it. I mean, I, I would say, you know, Social Security is a te- definitely another conversation. Right. I would say pensions are one of those, it's one of those dominoes that could be that the black swan that causes a lot of chaos. Uh, and what's even more concerning is you look at you know where these where these pension funds are right now and how underfunded they are, which means they don't have enough money to pay out all the benefits that they promise. That's what that means. Right. Uh, but you know, essentially, we are in the the biggest growth period in history. It's the longest economic expansion that we've ever had. Period. And it's it's pretty it's pretty amazing. But what's really concerning is the fact that these pensions are still underwater. Right? They're still <laughs> underfunded. Yeah. So yeah, and you've already started to see it. I mean, there's there's some you know municipalities like you know obviously Detroit is one of them, uh, but there are a lot of municipalities that are taking action. Right. I, Chicago is increasing their income tax uh, next year. Uh, I I just saw that I think it was uh, Kentucky that's going to impose a tax. Uh, Connecticut is having issues. My parents are both on pensions. My parents were both teachers. Right. So they're on pensions right now. And Connecticut is having issues. New Jersey has major issues. CalPERS right in California, major issues. And it's one of those things where it's not surprising to me. Right. And I know kind of what's you know, what's what's happening. And there's pension guarantee funds, but it's kind of like FDIC. Right. With all the pensions that are out there, these guarantee funds won't pay out, you know, a fraction of what's going to be owed. But there's already been, you know, some case law that, you know, mainly in municipal, you know, municipalities where there have been you know, court rulings as far as adjustments to pensions, where even though it was a contract, they were able to adjust benefits that went to uh, the participants. But that's the idea. It's like people are living longer. And mathematically, it totally makes sense if somebody works for 30 years and retires for five. I get it. R- working for 30 years and retiring for 30 years, it's mathematically impossible to have uh, really that type of benefit given to somebody. There's just not enough yield not enough return. It's way too risky in order for that to happen. And that's why we have the issues that we, uh, that we have. And it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see what the, what the fallout's going to be. I mean, I, I would say it's going to be, you know, higher taxes or printing money. I mean, those are the only two options we, you know, the, the government has. Uh, but I would say that once one big domino falls, all the others are going to fall su- uh, follow suit because that's, what's going to ca- uh, state kind of like the precedent, uh, create the precedent for other, you know, other, uh, underwater pensions to follow, to follow. So yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see because you, as you mentioned, some States are already taking action, raising taxes and so forth. And I mean, on a local level, I mean, how many parking tickets can you, can you write? Right. I mean, it's just the, the, the gap is so huge. I looked at your just corporate pensions are facing their worst deficit in 15 years right now with uh, only enough money to cover 76% of their estimated 2.1 trillion of liabilities. Uh, and in 2017, there was a study done of U.S. public pension systems by the Hoover Institution. Uh, they were looking at um, per pension liabilities that have reached a, a shortage, a shortfall of 3.85 trillion. And that is heavily downsized because they used a 7.5 annual return. 
So, uh, you know, if you look at how they, they, they calculated, that's why I said it was quite, if you look into the stuff, really, it's quite shocking. A 7.5% ex- expected return implies that the state and city governments are expecting the value of the money that they invest today yep. to double approximately every 9.6 years. And that's that- after fees after taxes it's like <laughs> it's not just this yeah it's it's amazing yeah. yeah so i mean that means a typical government would view a promise to make a worker a one hundred thousand dollar payment in 2026 is fully funded even if it just set aside less than fifty thousand dollars in assets in 2016 so a similar payment in 2036 would be viewed as fully funded with less than twenty five thousand dollars in assets of 2016 I looked at the graph uh, that was that's put out by the Hoover Institution as well, where they're looking at the rates of return. So at 7.5, you know, and, and, and around there, this is another calculation, a $2.2 trillion shortfall. When they're close to the risk-free at the 2% range, we're looking at $8.3 trillion. Yeah, and that's what's amazing. The, most people don't realize, like, this, the statistical significance of that rate of return and how you know decimated some of those funds were during the you know financial crisis they still really haven't rebounded from that uh but then it's just it's the growing you know it's it's the it's the growing life expectancy life expectancies have kind of tapered a little bit too but right. it's one of those those rates of return are just not you know from a long from what they're regulated to invest in that is you know one of the unintended consequences of uh of the monetary policy that we're a part of right now right because if you just you know print to oblivion and and put interest rates through the floor, those the typical investments of those funds have no yield, right? right? And so it's kind of like I don't blame I don't blame them. It's just one of those unintended consequences of what you know what our government has chosen to do. Well, what the Federal Reserve has chosen to do uh, with increasing aggregate demand to get us out of the you know crisis a few years ago. And I I don't know I, I'm I'm concerned with what's gonna with what's gonna happen. I think the only saving grace I would say is just you know, human ingenuity and the ability to solve problems. And hopefully there'll be, I mean, there could be a lot of technology that can make life uh, and life's expenses a lot cheaper. Uh, and those are kind of coming, coming online. It could affect healthcare. I and mean, there's a lot of things that would offset that. Uh, but I would say if everything was a constant, like we're in for, we're in for some major storms ahead. Let's look at some solutions to, and uh, you and I have discussed this before, and to, you only, there's a blueprint for it, right? As Tony Robbins would say, we, we have to look at what the wealthy elites do. And uh, I mean, Janet Yellen and Ben Bernanke and all these guys, they have to release their financials uh, before they sworn in. So that's a good place to start. What would we yeah. find there, Patrick? Yeah, I mean, you, go, you look at, the, you look at the, uh, the Federal Reserve you know, retirement, how their retirement is, is structured. And you see that it's very similar to, you know, how an insurance company is, is structured. I mean, there, you, you look at the top as far as corporations are concerned. And this kind of, I don't want to go into rabbit trails here, but you look at, you know, really who benefits from uh, being a public company. And it really, it's those, it's those at the top. It's those that are going public. It are those that are paid in you know, stock options, stock options or shares. And, you know, you really you go into the public companies, they have to declare what they pay their executives and they all have pensions. They're typically with insurance companies. And so they know they know what they're doing. Uh, and I would say it's really does. And I wouldn't say that they classify it as such, but I would say that they, you know, in a sense, exploit their, uh, you know, the middle class because the middle class is really what creates the demand for their shares. 
right? Because all of their money, all the middle-class money is in mutual funds that buy stocks, right? And those stock, that stock buying increases demand, which increases the price and the value of the company. But here's what's amazing, MC. Like if you look at last couple of years, there has been this, you know, overwhelming, uh, it's kind of tapered a little bit. It was really big a couple of years ago where you have these big share, share buybacks where companies, you know, are able to, you know, especially strong companies that yeah. have good ratings, they can, you know, they can go and, and have a bond issue, right? It's getting, a, it's like getting a loan at really low interest rates. Now the purpose typically for a bond is like to build a building, uh, to, you know, expand, uh, to, you know, in, in basically invest in the business. But what they've been doing is they've been taking on this bond debt and buying back shares, right? Buying back their own shares, which essentially, you know, keep prices high. And it makes sense for them. I mean, they have, you know, they, if they, you can get a 3% loan, like why would you, you do it? But again, it's one of those unintended consequences of, of monetary policy. Uh, and there's lots of solutions out there. I would say, yeah, where you put your money, big, you know, big solution, right? But I would also say, you know, especially for those that are thinking that, you know, they're going to call it quits at 60, 62, 63, 65. I would say you need to like stop, you need to stop and you need to re- reevaluate your life and recognize that, okay, you may be working for the rest of your life, which is okay. I mean, I, I would say there's, you know, this, this growing uh, kind of uh, trend called a boomer reinvention where baby boomers are essentially taking the skills that they've honed. Uh, really looking at their careers and becoming a consultant, working you know ten hours a week, fifteen hours a week, twenty hours a week, staying staying productive, teaching a class at the university. I mean, there's all all sorts of options during retirement that you can enjoy, but you can still get paid uh, paid for. So I would say if you're betting on your pension and betting on Social Security, I would have a Plan B, maybe a Plan C too. No, absolutely. And that's where a lot of um, the private pension strategy that you talk about uh, plays into. That's what these corporate executives, wealthy elite uh, that, that they have, this is not part of public pensions or, or the, the company's pension. So, uh, and, and also annuities, permanent uh, whole life insurance products and all the, and the, all those stuff. So, but as Patrick was saying, it's very important to understand where your money's at right now if you don't know and if you're banking on this um we could kind of see what's coming down the down the line right i usually say you know we're not soothsayers but when the evidence is out there and the, it's such a strong trend that's only accelerating and the fundamentals and not only in the just the the us economy but the world economy and everywhere is looking a certain way it's definitely time to uh to prepare <laughs> and get yeah. your ducks in a row no, I would say it's, yeah, and it's, it's one of those things too. It's kind of like, yeah, you look at the signals, you look at the signs that are out there and I'm, I'm surprised it's gone on for as long as it has, right. uh, but then you look at the ability and uh, for, you know, companies to buy back shares. You look at, you know, what Google and, uh, and Microsoft and Apple have become, which are these just like, you know, mon- monsters, right? These, right. these gargantuan companies, right. That have kind of propped everything else up. Uh, but you, you, you don't can't, you, you, know, you don't really see you see some things in the future you don't see everything there's always that blind spot there's always that you know anomaly that comes out of nowhere and i would say that there still could be right i've i've actually paid attention a lot recently to you know how much computer trading is done uh and and looking at you know the ability for an exchange to to exchange to shut down right i know the you know the the nasdaq has over the last several years mainly because of hacks 
but you know, the New York Stock Exchange has. I'm not sure if the Chicago Merck has, has done the same, but it's one of those like the, the technology that exists today could prevent sell-offs, right? It could pre- uh, prevent those type of market collapses and, you know, hysteria. Um, so I don't know. I mean, there, I'm, I'm trying to kind of pay attention out there to, you know, things that would uh, prevent this kind of tidal wave from hitting the shore. Uh, and I've seen some signals, but not clearly not enough uh, to uh, for, for me to not think that there's going to be some uh, some major storms ahead. Now, Patrick, uh, one habit I've observed from wealthy and successful people is they're always studying new subjects and learning new skill sets. And you're a lifelong learner and always educating and, and growing. What are you studying right now and what skill sets are you learning? Oh, well, like, yeah, like I said, I, um, you know, I, I have been listening to a bunch of Tim Ferriss recently, but among that, yeah. uh, I've, I've been listening to uh, Ray Dalio's book. Uh, I listen to most of, most of the, the books that I, well, I guess I don't read them. I listen to them, uh, but Ray Dalio's principles, I've, I've found uh, a lot of synchronicity there to the things that I've been studying over the last year, which comes down to uh, a standard set of, of values or principles. And this has been huge for me. It's been huge in my business. It's been huge with my uh, personal relationships, my business relationships. And it's kind of how I view the world now. Because if you look at really, you know, how humans, how human beings, uh, you know, interact with one another, if, it, if there isn't a centralized standard of value or principle, right, then it's a person versus a person. It's a bias versus a bias. And, and ultimately, you know, you're never going to resolve anything with, with that. I mean, you could. But in the end, it's kind of like one person wins, another person loses. But if you really look at, I mean, go back to the gold standard for money, since you, we, we've been talking about money this entire show, right? It, right now, if a government, you know, the United States prints money and increases the, the supply of money, it, that totally messes with exchange rates. So what do every other country and what does every other country in the world have to do? They have to do the same thing, right? right. They're, they're kind of, they're, we're forcing their hand to do it. That's where we're in the, the mess that we're in. If you had a, a gold standard, Right now, there's no argument to the value of money. Okay, now the U.S. there's a standard of value. China there's a standard of value. India there's a standard of value. Okay, and that you know it goes to every other part of life, right? Whether it's you know our constitution, uh, and again, it's one of those things where I've really looked at how we're structured as a nation, how we're structured as a people, how we're structured as a society, financial structures, and I try to find the underlying principle, especially when things go go wrong. Okay. Right. When things go wrong, it went wrong for a reason. Okay, going back to the financial crisis, right? It went wrong not because of what most people think, which is you know people you know bought more home than they could. I would say that that's a part of it, but it goes to really all the crazy financial instruments that were created by investment banks, all the you know the, the fractional reserve lending, allowing banks to lend more than uh, they had on deposit, and then also uh, the repeal of Glass Steagall. Right, which allows investment banks and banks to kind of you know connect and invest in one another. It's right. it, because of all that. I look at that as the cause, and there's no standard principle associated with that. It's speculation. So now you look at why we're in the mess that we're in. The reason why I know that there's going to be another correction is because there's no kind of standard. There's no standard way in which monetary policy is or money is operating. It's all this kind of like you know it's it's abstract to an extent. So that's, you know, right now I've, I've studied a ton about just what are, what are the, the foundational principles for decisions? What are the foundational principles for success? Uh, what are they for relationships, right? It, it's, and, they're, and they're very similar across the board. And so Ray Dalio hits on that uh, big time and it's really cool. So he, can, he came out with like kind of an ebook 
few years ago, but I would totally recommend it. Goes through his story. It's uh, and he gets pretty personal in there too. So it's it's uh, some good stories in there. Really good lessons. Awesome. Definitely check it out and put a link uh, below in uh, this interview. Patrick, and that kind of ties into my next question because, because a core message in our show is to leave our families, communities, and the world better than we found it by passing down a mindset, values, and principles to future generations, not just money. So if you cannot pass on any money to future generations and we're only allowed to pass on three principles to them to build wealth and achieve happiness and success, what would they be? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. And man, there's so, there, there's so much, uh, but I would say this is what I've been teaching my kids uh, lately. My, especially my two, my two oldest is I've, I've taught them to find something that they care about, right? Find something that they passionately are concerned for and care about and, and pursue that. Uh, It could be a person, it could be an idea, uh, but find something that they are are passionate about instead of you know just going kind of the, by the the whims of what society says is popular or what society says is cool uh, or what your friends thinks you should do. So I, I kind of coached them uh, a lot on that. It's been really really rewarding. Uh, and also we've we've done some service. We were part of a, a nonprofit group and uh, went down to Mexico and did some service with some communities there. And that is a that's a big that's a big part is going out and trying to care and do things for for others. Uh, and I would also, I would also say, I know you can't, I don't, I don't know if you have an E on your podcast to start swearing, but I would say, don't be in like an a-hole. Don't be, an, don't be an idiot to people, right? Have an open mind, be nice, care for a person, be willing to be wrong. Uh, and I think that goes, uh, it goes a long way because I think far too often so many things are ruined because a person is trying to protect, uh, from looking like an idiot, protect looking, um, you know, look, looking bad, uh, or uh, looking like a failure. And I think that is just like the wrong way. That's the wrong way to do it because that never works ever. And you always end up paying a big price if you continue to, to have that perpetuated in your, in your life. Uh, so I would say, yeah, the humility and really being open uh, and, uh, and just build good relationships, build good friendships. That's what it's about, honestly, at the end of the day. It's not about money. It's not about a business. It's about the people that you surround yourself by. Uh, and it's your interactions with them. It's good conversations. It's having fun. It's laughing. Uh, and I know we talk about a lot of the, mo- the money side of things, but in the end, if like, if you had a choice between like getting rid of your relate relationships, your, you know, your, your spirituality side of things, uh, the country that you lived in, uh, or money, right. What would you get rid of first? Right now right. it's always money, right? right? But yeah, everyone's always focused on that, which is yeah, fascinating. Exactly. I would say like, yeah, just find those relationships, find people that you care about. And ultimately, you're going to find people that care about you, uh, and you're going to have fun, and it's going to be very fulfilling, and and you're going to have that sense of uh, of achievement and fulfillment, which I think everybody's after. Awesome! Thank you for sharing, Patrick. How can my listeners learn more about you, your company, uh, your awesome podcast, The Well Standard, and stay informed of all the projects that you're involved in? Well, I wish I was better at at being a little bit more out there on social media, man. You like you're the one that's been killing it, and I'm, my hat goes off to you every, every day for how well you've done. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm. You can the well standard is our is our podcast. You guys can check check that out. I'm nowhere near as as structured as MC. I just kind of just kind of random every once in a while and talk about cool topics. Uh, but you know, yeah, the well standard is one uh, one way to do it. I'm on social media, you know, uh, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, I don't I don't use Twitter that that much. But, but anyway, yeah, that's uh, that's a good way to to get a hold of me. Awesome. See what I'm up to or not. Put all to. the 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll put all the links uh, in the show notes at cashflowninja.com. Uh, Patrick, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your journey and your knowledge uh, and providing so much value for my listeners. Oh, this is awesome, man. I really appreciate it. It was, uh, it was great to be on. Thanks for the conversation. This is MC Laubscher, the host of the Cashflow Ninja podcast. As you may know, I'm also the president and chief wealth strategist of Alhalla Wealth Financial. We help individuals, families, small businesses, entrepreneurs, and professionals build their wealth outside of Wall Street and help investors maximize the use of every dollar in their personal economy and boost their investment gains. We do this by combining the capital and investments with the financial vehicle of the wealthy according to the infinite banking concept. If you're interested to learn more about privatized banking and the infinite banking concept, you can access an exclusive webinar at cashflowninja.com forward slash be the bank. Thank you for joining my guest, Patrick Dono, and myself on the Cashflow Ninja today. Many of our listeners have taken action and received a personalized game plan of how to collapse time in their financial plan and become financially free in 10 years or less. If you're interested in a personalized game plan and a custom roadmap to achieve financial freedom in 10 years or less, you can register for a free webinar at cashflowtactics.com forward slash ninja. If you like what you hear and appreciate what we're trying to build here at the Cashflow Ninja, please subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes and share our show with family, friends, and your network. I'm always trying to learn and improve in every area of my life. So if there's any way that I can provide more value for you and serve you better, please reach out to me at info at cashflowninja.com. If you're not a subscriber to the Cashflow Ninja Gashku newsletter, you can sign up for our newsletter at cashflowninja.com or text Cashflow Ninja to 44222. Gelt Inc. is a multifamily owner which has acquired over 6,700 apartment units valued at over $1 billion through a private equity syndication model. Banking on the renter revolution amongst millennials and baby boomers, all-time low home ownership rates, and a major shortage of well-located apartments at affordable price points, Galt has provided its investors with consistent cash-on-cash returns while maintaining and enhancing equity invested for the long term. For more information on how to achieve sustainable yield for the long term, you can email Josh Satin at josh at geltinc.com. Smart investors know that the banks actually don't own most automatic teller machines. In fact, the opportunity for private investment provides stellar passive returns, figures in the double digits, with the added bonus that most of the income is tax-free. Who wants to walk blindly past an ATM and not cash in on that opportunity? ATM machine ownership brings you a steady stream of hands-off passive income. Dave Zook and the Real Asset Investor team have been providing opportunities for investors in this uptrending activity of ATM use. If you're an accredited investor and would like more information on how you can invest in this exclusive asset class that very few investors will ever have access to, sign up for your free webinar on how to create income streams from ATMs at cashflowninja.com forward slash real asset investor.
Jimmy Freeland and Bob Scott have been in your shoes and have used real estate investing to become financially free. They have designed a system to take any beginner to an experienced deal-making investor in the least amount of time. They offer opportunities from basic education, coaching, bridge loan investing to turnkey investments in the cash-flowing market of St. Louis, Missouri. For more information, please visit joinupsproperties.com or call Jimmy and Bob at 314-799-2247. If you want to create an income stream of 8% on your cash or money in your self-directed IRA within 90 days in real estate without finding the property, fixing it up, finding a tenant, and all the other management headaches that comes along with it, you have to watch the private lending presentation at cashflowninja.com forward slash private lending. The wealthiest investors on the planet know how to capture their wealth and leverage it to perpetually grow it. If you're interested in learning in the premier strategies of the wealthiest individuals and families on the planet, you can access your free webinar at cashflowninja.com forward slash be the bank. That's our show for today, everyone. Until next time, live a life of passion and purpose on your terms. You have been listening to the Cashflow Ninja with your host, MC Laubscher, the podcast empowering and inspiring people to discover how to generate their own income and manage, grow, and protect their own wealth in the new economy. Today's show notes and resources are available on our website, CashflowNinja.com. This presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objective, situation, and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness.